I think that new interface of using just language like we're talking back and forth is going to be one of the biggest uh, changes to how analytics are built and, and looked at and explored. Hello, everyone. Welcome to HIMSCast. My name is Mike Milliard. I'm executive editor of Healthcare IT News, a HIMSS publication. I'm here today with Dr. Jackie Gerhardt, who's the vice president of clinical informatics at Epic, and her colleague, Phil Lindemann, who's the vice president of business intelligence and analytics at Epic. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks. So we're here today to talk a bit about some work Epic is doing on the clinical trials front and also uh, unpack some uh, recent news you guys are, are doing with, with just data, basically analytics and, and you know how, you, how you're helping providers and your clients marshal that data for, uh, for better patient care. So you know, perhaps a good place to start is about this life sciences team that I know you guys are working with. Could you guys say a bit about that? You know, what was the impetus for creating the program and what are you hoping to achieve with, with the work you're doing? Part of the goal is really integrating research and clinical care into a single experience. That's both for the, the provider who often has this sort of swivel chair concept of like they're putting information in the medical record and then they're putting information in the research system uh, and there's still one patient in front of them, but they're having to go between them. So making that process more streamlined. And then the other one is working on the process of speeding up a clinical trial um, by really identifying the areas that are most problematic, um, which is usually how to identify appropriate uh, patients for recruitment and then getting them enrolled in trials quickly. Uh, and the more we can shrink down that time period, uh, the faster we know if a drug works or equally importantly, doesn't work. And we can um, move on to the, to the next idea. So it's really those two things were the impetus of how we felt we could be um, uh, building product around that. And, and it really kind of starts way before that. So for years, Epic has um, helped organizations run clinical trials at their sites. Uh, and that's been something that's been out there uh, for years and years. So at this point, you know, there's 100,000 trials and, and millions of patients uh, have their clinical trials documented in Epic today. So it's been something that we've been working on for a while. Uh, and, and really what we've done now is we've, we've taken sort of a, a broader, uh, view of that and realized that, well, we always realize this, but customers were building the same elements for a trial at every single site. So every site that was going to run the clinical trial had all these things they had to build and stand up and, and get ready. Mm -hmm. And really what the life sciences team's goal is, is could we build something once centrally? and push all of those elements that are necessary to run the trial to all the sites that want to run it. And, and really just easing that IT burden and integrating it directly into their uh, clinical experience. So the forms and the alerts and all those things are, are integrated. So that was really the impetus for the life sciences is, is how can we integrate those things and speed up some of the things that are a bit IT intensive today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll add that for the patient and the provider, really the goal is to try to get life-saving cures, potentially new medications, new treatments to patients more quickly so that we can hopefully advance medicine. The goal here is from a provider's perspective, like I as a physician might see a patient in front of me who has a rare disease or is not achieving good treatment with normal methods and they want to be part of a, a trial and they struggle to try to find out how to do so and where to go. And I struggle to try to figure out how to sign them up and so forth. And so just getting more knowledge about trials and access to try to advance medicine. 
Yeah, I imagine, you know, having this stuff streamlined from a clinician's point of view is is key because there's plenty of burden to go around, as we all know. Um, and the last thing you need is more documentation and more, you know, sifting for, for needles and haystacks. So, um, you know, what have you heard from your customers so far? Or is it still in the early stages and it's, um, you know, I mean, have, has, have you been piloting with, with certain folks? And, you know, what's the feedback you've been getting? Yeah, I mean, the feedback is what took you so long? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why haven't you been working on this already? So I, I think... There is a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of development to do. So this is very much an in-development process right now. We're working with sites. We're going out to visit them, you know, doing a dare to retreat and asking them, you know, what are the most important things we need to be working on first? Um, and, and most of the things really are around making sure that they're able to recruit representative cohorts for clinical trials. Uh, right. Unfortunately, a lot of clinical trials uh, skew very much towards uh, white male populations. Um, and that is who these drugs are being tested on, yet they are being made available to the entire population of the United States and, and, and likely the world. So having a representative sample um, of patients that participate is, is top of mind for the FDA. It's top of mind for our sites. Uh, and that is is something that we're hoping that we can we can help assist them with is is help them understand are they capturing a representative population and give them tools so that if they're not they can they can do a better job of of uh, being more inclusive. What are some specific ways that you can help do that? You know, how do those tools work? Yeah, the the biggest one is Cosmos. So right. Cosmos, if you know, for folks that might not be familiar with it, this was an initiative started with the uh, Epic community to bring their data together and basically give them a macro view of de-identified information, so they could you know study health outcomes, they could look at trends, do quality improvement, uh, you know, peer-reviewed research, and the other tool that that can be used for is it can help you identify where patients are that um, might be a good candidate for a clinical trial. Now, keep in mind, those are all de-identified and you can't identify individual patients, but you can, at that large view, understand which sites have which um, sort of makeup of patient populations so that when it is time to actually begin and conduct a trial, we can have an idea of where um, in the country might be an ideal place to actually run that trial and who has the right populations when we look at the disease, look at the age ranges and all those different types of things. So having that view that was really created with our customers in Cosmos is one of the most powerful tools. Uh, the next one is sort of a magical one that we call teleport. And that's the idea that we can write sort of this analysis at the top level of Cosmos and say, this is this is where all the sites are and how many patients they have of a particular makeup, again, fully de-identified. Then the teleport function allows that analysis to be pushed down to every single Epic site. So when they when someone would approach them and say, would you like to conduct a clinical trial at your site? Historically, that's either guessing uh, which way is the wind blowing today. And they're saying, yeah, I think we have enough patients to do this, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate because sometimes they're wrong and that can cost them a lot of money. Uh, or they're going to use their IT resources and they're going to do some analytics and that takes a little bit of time. So either way, you're either guessing inappropriately, you're spending a lot of resources, but with teleport, they'll just have basically a button on their screen that says, how many patients do we have? And it'll give them a breakdown of uh, demographic, race, age, how those patients prefer to be contacted. Do they like uh, the patient portal? Do they uh, prefer email? Do they like a phone call? Do they not want to be called at all? 
So the local site who has that relationship with the patient then can see how they want to go and pursue those patients without any IT resource and without guessing. You know, they may immediately say, oh, we don't actually have any patients that meet that criteria. We'll mm -hmm. pass on this trial. So those are things that appear simple, um, but don't exist today. That, that concept of teleport or even a data set that that's large that allows that per view. Uh, so those are two key tools that we think will, will help this process and actually speed up the enrollment component of a clinical trial. And Jack, you know, from a clinician's perspective, you know, talk about the value of that, you know, for, for you, your workflow, you know, say, and, and of course your patients and the, and the care they receive. Yeah, so having access to a database of over 178 million patients, over six and a half billion encounters is just going to change the face of medicine. We're going to know more about disease much more quickly and be able to compare patients that otherwise we might have only seen one or two of in our practice to other ones that are in that large cohort. So not only from a clinical trials perspective and being able to help my patients find clinical trials more easily, but also from a, so then what, how are we now going to use this information to care more for patients? Um, and that can be in any of four realms. It could be in clinical trials and life sciences like Phil was just describing. It could be in public health. So working with CDC, FDA, other um, governmental entities to try to improve care uh, for patients across the country. It could be in research that has traditionally been peer-reviewed, but helping to speed along that process. And then it also can be in front of the patient. And we've been working on a couple of tools for that as well. That's really cool. So, uh, you know, on Healthcare IT News, just a few weeks ago, we, we wrote an article about how Cosmos is improving um, perinatal care. Um, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out of that, that platform. Uh, anything else you guys are, are, you know, jazzed about that you think is worth talking about here with, with Cosmos? Yeah, that's a challenging question because I'm jazzed about all of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to epicresearch.org, you can see our different studies that we've done in-house, but we're really hoping and wanting the customers that are contributing, the healthcare systems that are contributing to Cosmos to do research on it as well. And whether that be something for helping advance public policy or public health, or if it be for a peer-reviewed journal, all of those are, um, are areas in which we can, again, improve health. Specifically, I, I like the study that you referenced, but my probably the most frequently referenced one on Epic Research is our cancer screening study. Uh, we've been able to work a bit with that on the cancer moonshot and describing how screenings decreased during the pandemic and then have they returned to their normal rates again now that things are more in person. Yeah. And we're currently working on a study looking to see if did that decrease in screening actually result in any new cancer diagnoses? So more of them or more advanced cancer diagnoses. Uh, so I'm really excited for, for that to um, come out. And again, because it's on such a representative large database, it's really generalizable to the rest of the population. And so that will help us in terms of healthcare delivery. Um, other ones that were really, in my opinion, mon monumental were in looking at therapeutics during the pandemic. So we worked with the CDC and the FDA on the COVID vaccinations, helping to get them passed in children. Um, now, more recently worked on some of the antivirals and their, um, their vaccine efficacy. And then um, even during the monkeypox response, mpox response, we also were looking at data there as well. So those are some of the major public health uh, problems we've been working on. 
Yeah, um, I was going to ask, you know, how you see these trends continue to evolve with, you know, with public health surveillance in particular, let's say, you know, we, we saw during, you know, the early days of COVID-19, you know, how lacking things still are. We're already talking about potentially a new pandemic with, uh, you know, you know, H5N1, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, but uh, clearly the infrastructure is improving and, and, you know, the data is there. It's just a matter of kind of knowing how to get it and, and how to access it and make sure that it's being put to use. What, what do you see when you look at the years ahead? I'm thrilled about the idea of having bigger size, more representation and more applicability. I think that's a little bit of the promise of the EHR. We as clinicians write information in and get tests and gather information. And what better than to not only be able to use that for the patient in front of you, but also to be able to aggregate it and then use it to advance medicine. And so I'm really excited for not only solving things that are, you know, sudden pandemic type situations where really the speed is so important. You, For example, in, in COVID, I mean, we just hopped on the phone immediately and tried to get as much information out as possible because as you know, clinical trials and um, often peer-reviewed research takes months, maybe even years to publish. And that's just really not a luxury you have during a pandemic. And so I'm really excited about if and when the next thing happens that you know we're able to step up to the plate and give some real world evidence that will allow for good public policy making and also for um, good public health. And then in addition to the um, speed, back to the representativeness piece, I think it's often difficult when you read a study just as like a, a lay person to A, understand how it's written, B, understand the methods, C, understand if the people that are in the trial are actually like you and if it's representative of you and how well you should believe the information. And I think just democratizing that process by being able to put good information out quickly and get it into the hands of not only clinicians who read traditional journals, but also patients who might want to know and maybe haven't had the chance to get in to see their provider or public policymakers who really are trying to make big decisions on vaccine schedules, for example. Though I'm hopeful that it can be just another tool in the tool belt for the people that are making those decisions so that we can use all of our resources more effectively. And Phil, you know, as, as the kind of data guru here, you know, what do you what do you see as you look forward, you know, to um, the way analytics is going to continue to evolve as, as, you know, AI machine learning models get more transparent and more, you know, mature and, and, and advanced? Um, you know, are, are you seeing some other cool stuff on the horizon that we maybe haven't talked about yet? Yeah, I know. I mean, you're probably thinking the zeitgeist is the large language models and the chat GPT type uh, applications. I, I think there's immense potential for that, even though we're probably at the peak of the hype cycle of, you know, what we think those things are going to be capable of. But but certainly taking a academic journal article and distilling it down to something a layperson could easily consume and understand mm. that, I mean, that in itself is going to be really powerful. Um, you know, we're thinking about ways that that could be enabled in our software. So less almost on the analytical side, but more on the actionability side. So how do we take these massive databases? And, you know, today we're programming humans to speak a language of the computer. You know, we're learning SQL, we're learning Python, but what if the computer can essentially speak English or, or, or you know, your native language mm -hmm. uh, and then translate it into something that the computer can understand and, and give you back those answers. So I think that new interface of using just language, like we're talking back and forth is going to be one of the biggest 
uh, changes to how analytics are built and, and looked at and explored that uh, we're, we're most excited about. But again, we're at the top of the hype cycle here. So we're, we're trying to be metered about it, but it, it is looking pretty promising. So that could open up whole new, you know, avenues, you know, for for clinicians and the way that they use their data, they have right at their fingertips, you know, as if, yeah, that's, that's cool to think about. So definitely bears watching. You know, there's been a lot of cool stuff we've talked about anything, you know, before I let you go that you think is worth noting any, any cool projects on your to do list or things that you're excited about as you look to the year ahead. You just ended your last comment on putting data at people's fingertips. And I think that's the thing I'm most excited about. So I'll talk a little bit about a couple of the tools that we're thinking about to put information at the bedside, essentially. So, mm-hmm. so the patient and the physician can interact and actually make a real-time decision based on real-world evidence. So the first is called Best Care for My Patient. And the goal there is to have a patient, say, that has mm-hmm. uh, chronic kidney disease and cystic fibrosis, or maybe hypertension and chronic kidney disease something that I don't usually see together. And I often haven't read an article about it. There isn't necessarily research performed on it, but I want to see in patients like that one, what treatments have they tried and and what's worked. Mm -hmm. And the goal will be that I, as a clinician, can choose a precision cohort and say, you know, my patient is like Charlie, they're a 55-year-old male, they also have chronic kidney disease. Then I can choose what outcome I'm looking for. So maybe it's their blood pressure, maybe it's their likelihood of a side effect or stroke. And then I can actually look at the different treatments that other people have tried in patients like mine and um, see which ones are are the most effective to the outcomes that I'm looking for. So I'm really thrilled about that one. Uh, And then the second is for patients that have rare constellations of symptoms. So sometimes I'll have a rare patient in front of me that they have, you know, this lab and that problem, but I haven't necessarily figured out what's going on. Um, again, with the 178 million patients, I can put in those specific criteria and the system can match to a clinician that's seeing a patient um, that's similar. And then I can reach out directly to the clinician to discuss the case. And so the goal there is to help find a diagnosis and then potentially, hopefully get the diagnosis faster and treat the patient better, um, again, more quickly. And I think the promise there is just great because there's often patients that it takes us a while to figure out what's going on. And hopefully this will really help speed their care. Great. Phil, any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I would build on to what what uh, Jackie said as far as excitement of those tools. But I, I think at the end of the day, when we look at tools like Cosmos, we're pretty young in our trajectory. So, you know, my thing I'm most looking forward to is seeing what the researchers at the sites that have Cosmos are going to produce over the next year, the next six months. We had a peer-reviewed article come out from one of our sites uh, a couple of days ago. So we're hoping to see a lot more of that. And, you know, the reality is you can't do a randomized clinical trial for every single combination of everything. And these types of real-world evidence are going to be uh, a, an addition, uh, a complement to that. And and we're really looking forward to uh, seeing that that mountain of knowledge being built with Cosmos by our community. Excellent. Uh, that's going to be uh, worth watching for sure. And we will be reporting on it here at Hillcare IT News. Uh, and I just want to thank both of you, uh, Jackie and Phil, for joining us today. Thanks, of course, to the audience. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of HIMSCast. Uh, we encourage you to rate and review us. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you.